Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be Children of the Promise. Children of the Promise. Today we will uncover the veil that has obscured the truth since the times of Moses. Today we'll learn a little old covenant, a little new covenant, and where do we stand today, brothers and sisters? Because why? With the internet, there's an influx of information, and even amongst Hebrews, even amongst Israelites, a lot of Israelites haven't gotten the full doctrine of Christ, the full understanding of the new covenant. It's, it's quite complex, brothers and sisters. So we're going to use the Bible. We're going to take our time today to make the to make what seems complex very elementary brothers and sisters follow us today get your pen and your pad we have a plethora of scriptures today the title children of the promise brothers and sisters we're going to Matthew the 25th chapter we're going to have brother Corey read the 34th verse Matthew 25 and 34 then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, it was a kingdom formed from the foundations of the earth. Do you see that? Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What did he say? Inherit the king prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, the author teaches us that the kingdom is part of an inheritance. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? The term inheritance implies there must be an inheritor. So we have to deal with that part today, brothers and sisters. If it's an inheritance, who is the inheritor? How does the Most High determine who is an inheritor? Everyone can't. The term in itself implies that everyone can't be an inheritor, brothers and sisters. So we first we've we've seen just in this small text, brothers and sisters, that from the beginning, from the foundations of the world, there was a kingdom prepared for you to inherit. How do I become an inheritor? How do I have? How do I become this? Right. Let's go to Proverbs, brother, 13. We're going to the Old Testament. Please follow us there. We're going to Proverbs, the 13th chapter and the 22nd verse. Proverbs 13 and 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Read that one more time, please, brother, that first part. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. Look at that. According to the text, a good parent operates with his posterity in mind. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Here, there's that word inheritance. What does it say, brother? A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. No, to everyone. His children's children. To who, brother? His children's children. The author tells us that an inheritance is left only for they whom are considered children. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? We're going to break it down today. 
We're going to break it down because if the kingdom is an inheritance, you must be considered a child of the most high. You must be considered one of his children. Everyone is not considered his children, brothers and sisters. If it was if if it was for everyone, there would be no need to call it an inheritance. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Matthew, brother, the 18th chapter. Because the Bible says that inheritance go to the children of the whoever's giving out the inheritance. All right. Matthew 18, verse 1. At the time, or at the same time, came the disciples unto Christ, saying, What did they say? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Christ called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now this is deep, brothers and sisters. There's so much. This, this small stanza, there's so much there. What's the first thing we notice in these three scriptures? The Bible teaches us that the disciples were often concerned with greatness. You'll see this a myriad of times in the Bible. Let's, let's read it one more time. Matthew 18 verse 1. At the, at the same time came the disciples unto Christ, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Christ called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, do you see that? According to the text, a conversion must take place in order to be considered a recipient of the kingdom. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Read three one more time, please, brother. Verse three. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if you examine, uh, if you examine the Messiah's response, it in, there's an implication there. The implication is that the disciples, their current condition based on the line of questioning was inappropriate for a kingdom recipient. <laughs> You, he, you're asking, well, you know, who's the greatest? He's saying, listen, you need to be converted. <laughs> that was his response, brothers and sisters. Now, examine how Christ characterized the conversion required. Let's read that one more time, brother, uh, from the top, please. Matthew 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Christ, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Christ called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, children within the Hebraic hermeneutic was without status or rights. They were completely dependent, right? The same way your children are to you. So to a child, the state of dependence is what? It's perfectly natural. Now, all of this fits because why? We read in Proverbs, the 13th chapter, that what? An inheritance goes to the children. Christ said what? <laughs> Listen, you need to be converted and become like little children or you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? So Christ was breaking this down. The disciples, even though they, you know, they were the disciples at this time, they weren't even called apostles. So before you become an apostle, you actually first have to be a disciple. So I need you, you know, 
as you, you know, in your personal study, you're going through the gospel. Please read the gospel many times over. I learn new things every time I go through the gospel, things I skipped right over. But when you read the gospel, brothers and sisters, look at the context. When he starts to call them apostles, look at how he's speaking to them. Look at how they're operating. Look at their characteristics. Anytime the text is calling them disciples, look at what's going on during that time. Look at their, how their mind is operating. Look at how little or how much they actually understand, they comprehend, brothers and sisters. Because those two terms, they have great indications, brothers and sisters. He calls them disciples, and then later on, he calls them apostles. And we actually have a lesson on that, that we'll, you know, uh, we'll put up there if the Most High is willing. Uh, but we just wanted to show you that Christ is saying you must become like little children to enter into this kingdom. Why? Because only the children can inherit this. Okay. Let's go to Luke, brother, the 11th chapter, because a child for a child, especially during this time, the, the state of dependence was perfectly natural. So Christ was giving some deep information to the disciples at this at this time. <clears throat> Luke 11 and 12. Excuse me, 11. Let's start at 11, brother. Luke 11, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, brothers and sisters, the natural inclination of a father towards a dependent child is the emphasis of the text. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Brothers and sisters, examine the paternal response to the childlike dependency. What's verse 13 say, brother? 13. If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now look at this. Christ emphasizes the relational reconditioning of the mind as a requirement, brothers and sisters. <laughs> because this whole, this chapter is about, you know, a father and a child. And if you're a father out there or you're a man out there or even you're somebody's daughter out there, you've had a father <laughs> or, or parent, right? So what is that feeling? What is that response when your child is in need? This, this is the whole emphasis. That's the emphasis of these scriptures, brothers and sisters. Christ did not want us to have merely a master-servant relationship with the Most High. He's saying, listen, your father. <laughs> I need you to see him as your father because why? If you don't see him as your father, you only see him as God. Then you don't get an inheritance because inheritance... Go to children, brothers and sisters. And we're going to break this down. Well, the Bible is going to break this down today, brothers and sisters. So you have to, you have to examine the text because in, in Hebrew, brothers and sisters, the name of a thing, you name a thing after what it was. So any name that, that you know, Hebrews used, it actually was a description of what it was. They didn't just give names to give names. So when he talks about, you know, being children, He's putting an emphasis, he's implying that what? There's a father there, right? Or he wouldn't even need to use that term. 
So the implication is on seeing the Most High as your father. Let's go to Galatians 4, brother, please, because he wants us to grow out of that master-servant attitude, brothers and sisters. Right? Not that it's bad to be a servant. Yes, you should be a servant. I am a servant. Corey, brother Corey is a servant. But there's another level that you must get to spiritually in order to be considered a child of the Most High. Let us show you. Galatians 4 and 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Now, brothers and sisters, in this particular text, the word child is not referring to paternity. It's referring to maturity. How do we know? Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. So according to the text, they who lack maturation are governed by tutors. You see that, brothers and sisters? What's the next scripture say, brother? Verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So we're seeing something here, brothers and sisters. We're seeing growth. We're seeing maturity, right? He's showing you, you know, a time's past where you were, you know, considered one thing, uh, whether that be immature. Now, immature in this context, we're going we're gonna to use the Bible to break it down, okay? Because he's talking about spiritually immature, right? Look at verse 1 one more time, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> verse 1. Now I say... That the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Now look at this. It tells you that he differeth nothing from a servant, though he be the Lord or the owner, right? Now, brothers and sisters, according to the text, such an heir has not matured enough to have free access to the resources of the household. So it's just like if, if you leave a will for your children and you die or something, Lord forbid, right? Then there's something written in the will that says, okay, until my child reaches a certain age, all of this is uh, not in his control or in his, uh, you know, not under his control, right? So that's what you're seeing here. So the evidence of a child deficient of maturation is what? Read verse two, brother, please. Verse two. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. See, so the evidence of a child deficient of maturation is the presence of the schoolmaster. You see that, brothers and sisters. Now, let's find the schoolmaster. What is the schoolmaster in, uh, in this particular book? Let's go to Galatians, the third chapter, the 24th verse. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 24th through the 26th verse. Galatians. 3 and 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Brothers and sisters, Paul writes that the law was always meant to be temporary. The law served as our, our disciplinarian unto Christ came. Could you read 24 one more time, brother? Verse 24. 
Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So according to the text, the law communicated what? The outline of the fulfillment to come in Christ. It was designed to do what? To train us to recognize the significance of Christ. The significance of Christ. So what is this talking about? Now when it says not under the law, brothers and sisters, when, when you read that in the Bible, it's not saying you don't have to follow the law. That's not what it's saying. We're going to show, we're going to, we're going to use the Bible to show. Um, let's see, read verse 26, brother, please. Galatians 3 and 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ. There go that word, children, right? Aren't you trying, aren't we supposed to be trying to become uh, children so we can inherit? So brothers and sisters, if we refuse the finished work of Christ for our salvation, then we remain forever a slave in the custody of the Mosaic law. He's telling you that, listen, the law was there to bring you unto Christ. It wasn't to, you know, that wasn't the, the end. That law was there for a particular time. It's called a dispensation, brothers and sisters. When you hear that word, a dispensation in the Bible is a time uh, or period in history, biblical history, where the Most High used a specific instrument to speak unto the people. So at one time, he dealt straight with the fathers, right? Adam, he, he dealt with the fathers. The fathers educated the family. He dealt with Abraham. Remember, he said, Abraham, I love Abraham, because why? I know he'll teach his children. And then he de started dealing with what? The prophets. So he would, he would communicate his will through the prophets. And then what did you have, brothers and sisters? You had the Holy Spirit. So now he started to communicate through the spirit of his son, uh, through Christ. So here it is, brothers and sisters. We see that he's telling you, what, what is 26 saying, brother? How do we get this inheritance? Verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ. So there goes that word children. Brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson is Children of the Promise. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with the children that will be the recipients of Abraham's promises, brothers and sisters, or the promises of Abraham. Let's go to Proverbs, brother, 29 and 21. Please follow us here, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 29 and 21. He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the length. Mm. Brothers and sisters, Solomon is speaking about bringing up a servant from a child. That links flawlessly with the Galatians, the third and fourth chapter. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 21. He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his servant at the length. So according to the text, as long as he remain a servant, he is not considered a son. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Remember, as long as he be a child, he differeth nothing from a slave. Remember Galatians. Let's read that one more time, because I need our brothers and sisters to really internalize what the text is saying here. Proverbs 29 and 21. He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the length. See, so a servant must transition into a son in order to have an inheritance. That's what the that's what's being broken down here. 
brothers and sisters. As long as he be a child, he differeth nothing from a servant. So now you have to become a son, brothers and sisters. How do we do this? How do we become sons and daughters of the promise? Because why? The inheritance only goes to those considered children. You don't leave an inheritance to, you know, to your co-worker. You don't leave an inheritance to, you know, naturally, you know, naturally you would leave an inheritance to your heir. Okay. Let's go to Galatians 4, brethren. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Galatians, the fourth chapter and the fourth through the seventh verse. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. To do what? Redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Mm, brothers and sisters. According to the text, to be considered an heir, you must first be redeemed. Let's read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. See, so devoid of redemption, we cannot be the recipient of an inheritance. He said the adoption of sons, brothers and sisters. That now we can become sons. We go from servants to sons. But what? According to the, the, the text, you must first be redeemed. So now we're learning actually how to become, how to receive this inheritance here. Okay? It said you have to be redeemed. He came to redeem those under the law. Which means what people were under the law? Under the law of sacrifice. Under the law of righteousness. There was a time in the old covenant where our people did works to be considered righteousness or to be considered righteous, right? So it's completely different now because you got the promised land just based on being Israel during that time, okay? So when we came out of the wilderness, you had all types of Israelites there, good ones, bad ones, complainers, and all of us was going to get the land. It's different now. You're not getting in because you're Israel. <laughs> that, that, that didn't go so well. In the, you know, in, in the tour. So now he's saying what in verse 5, brother? Verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look at this, brothers and sisters, because now we see the transition from servant to son. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 6. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. So now, now look at it, because he's saying now that you've become sons, you're referring to him as father. You see that? What's verse 7 say, brother? Verse 7. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Boom. <laughs> he just dropped a bomb on you. You see that? No more servant. Now remember, Galatians 4 said what? <laughs> as long as you're under the law, you're different, you're different nothing, you know, than a servant. See, you're looking at God as a master. Right? Do this, do that, do this, do that. That's fine. All that's fine in the beginning. 
But he's saying, no, don't view me that way. View me as your father, not as a drill sergeant. See, our people have misconstrued the concept of who God is. We've lost that. And when we come into being Israel, we still don't have it. We see a drill sergeant. I know one brother and sister, they wrote down, they said, you know, it's 600 some odd laws and they wrote them all down. I'm like, I mean, how is that? How is that going to help you? Just finding every law and just write it down. The only way, the only way to become an heir is first through redemption. Let's read seven one more time, brother, please. <clears throat> Galatians four and seven. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See? So it was a couple things. As long as you're a servant, you're not a son. Remember, Proverbs said what? You can, you can be adopted from a servant unto a son. You can grow. And guess what? If you're no longer a servant but a son, now we can deal with inheritance. Okay? But guess what? Heir of God through Christ. Not through the law. Not through the Moses. Not through, you know, following these laws. We're not saying don't follow the law. We follow the law. But that doesn't make you righteous. Because why? If you're saying the law should get you the promise, then what? why did Christ die? You don't even need Christ then. As long as I follow the law, then I should get in, right? I don't need Christ then. You see that? Let's go to Galatians 5, brother. Just a chapter, you know, subsequent. Let's read, uh, we're going to have Brother Corey read 1 through 6. Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage. What is he talking about? The law. Don't go back to using the law as your righteousness, because the Pharisees, they followed the letter of the law, but they were not good people. Because, see, the thing is, the law, can it has the power to rock you to sleep. Where you think because you don't eat pork and you, you don't celebrate holidays that you're a good person. So now you're not even looking to grow anymore. You're not dealing with self-examination because I don't eat pork. I don't eat crab, shrimp, and lobster. I don't work on the Sabbath. I'm a good person. See, you can get rocked to sleep like that. And many of our people, remember, we were following the law when we went to those slave ships. When we went, you know, and served the Persians and, and, and the Greeks and the Romans and all that, we were following the law. So there's another level. There's a higher level. Could you read that one more time, brother? Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall not profit you nothing. Now, when it's talking about circumcision, it's talking about the law, brothers and sisters. And we're seeing here that Paul disparages the pernicious notion that the law is able to make men righteous before God. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? <laughs> He's saying, well, listen, listen, if you're using the law of righteousness, then Christ profits you nothing. That's why you can't you can't come that way. Christ is the door. If you try to come through that law way, then you you trample underfoot Christ's blood. Continue, brother, please. Verse 3. 
For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, mm, ye are that. fallen from grace. Read that one more time. Four, please, brother. Verse four. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Those who seek to be justified by the law are separated from Christ's sacrifice. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? Now, we're not saying don't follow the law, but the word justified by the law. You can't be justified by the law. That justified means declared righteous. Because what happens when you, you didn't follow the law? Are you under that part? And see, that's why he makes it clear in verse 3. Let's, let's jump back up, brother. Let's read it all the way from the top, if you don't mind. Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So Paul compares those who seek to be justified by the law to oxen that are hitched to the yoke. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Mm, he said you're a debtor, right? Circumcision, right, was part of the law. And at this time, our people was trying to get, you know, Gentiles to be circumcised, saying that it was part of the law. He's saying, listen, if you're, if you're under any part of the law, you're under every part of the law. Now, guess what else is in the law? Judgment. We catch you uh, working on the Sabbath, death. <laughs> right? We catch you carrying some sticks or something like that, death. Right? See, what about that part of the law? All those times you looking at, looking at you know, uh, racy images and all that stuff. Because, see, the law says... There's things that are unto death. And you can't say, well, no, I'm under the law now that I follow it. But when I wasn't following it, I'm, I wasn't under it. So this is what he's trying to say. How many days or, excuse me, how many years did we not even know about the Sabbath? Were you working on the Sabbath, spending money on the Sabbath? You should be dead. So he's saying you can't come that way. Because if you come that way, I'm going to have to kill you. Let's read that one more time. Three, brother, please. Verse three. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Why? Because to build one's hopes for righteousness on works would be disastrous. We're going to prove that. Verse four. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. See, so what is he saying? He's saying just because you're circumcised on the eighth day doesn't make you better than, than those who are not uncircumcised. You're, you're looking at the wrong circumcision. Because our people would, you know, because they're circumcised think they're good people. So I don't need to grow. I don't need to believe in Christ. I'm circumcised. He's saying you, you got the wrong circumcision. The circumcision that means something is the circumcision of the heart. Go read Romans, the second chapter. It tells you about that. 
Let's go to Galatians 4 and 21, brother. We, we got a lot of Galatians today. We're going back and forth here. We're going to read, we're going to have Brother Corey read Galatians 4, uh, 21 through 25. Galatians 4 and 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Those of you, who's, who, you know, who desire to be under the law, did you not read the law? Did you not hear the law? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by, by promise. What is this referring to, brothers and sisters? What is this referring to? We know that Abraham had a son named Ishmael, right? So this is referring to Sarah. Who we came from through, Isaac and Hagar, who the Ishmaelites or Arabs came through. Can you read 22 one more time, brother? Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. The one who was born after Hagar was after the flesh. Why? Because Sarah didn't have faith in the Most High, so she sent Hagar in. See, so that was works of the flesh. There was, you know, no patience, no faith. So that was works of the flesh. That that had nothing to do with the Most High, but... But he of the free woman was by promise. See, Isaac, that was by promise, because why? They were barren. They were barren, yet the Most High kept his promise. So that child didn't come from works of the flesh. That child came from promises of the Most High. But look at the key verse, verse 24. Verse 24. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendered to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answer it, <clears throat> and answer it to Jerusalem, which now is. Now, and it, excuse me, excuse me, brothers and sisters. Are you catching this? Are you catching this? Because he said this is an allegory. That doesn't mean that that didn't happen. Yes, those people are real. But he's saying it means something else. He's saying these two represent two covenants: Hagar or the, the you know. The, the, the bond woman, because remember, she was she worked for them, right? He's telling you that that is the bondage. That's the one that genders bondage. And then it tells you that one came from Mount Sinai. What transpired at Mount Sinai? The law. Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. So he's telling you Mount Sinai, the law gendereth to bondage. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's let's jump back up and read. Let's read 22 because he said, have you not read? <laughs> Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai which gendered to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answer it to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in the bondage with her children. Jump to verse 30 and 31, brother, please. Galatians 4 and 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? 
cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Now remember who, what covenant was the bondwoman, according to verses 23 through 25. The one that came from Mount Sinai. Right? Remember, Ishmael could not be an heir. The Most High didn't allow it. Why? Because his mother was a bondwoman. An heir had to, his heir had to come from a free woman. So he's saying, as long as you're under, you know, <laughs> you're under that covenant, you are not an heir. You're not considered an heir. Remember, Sarah was Abraham's wife. And when she didn't conceive, she impatiently sent her servant to conceive in her place. So when the Most High says that the bondwoman was through the flesh, but Sarah or the second covenant was through promise, what does it mean? It means that they forced, <laughs> they, you know, that was controlled by man and woman, Ishmael's birth, right? That was orchestrated. The promise, Abraham, to his son Isaac, you know, where they were upward 90, you know, <laughs> years old, trying to have kids for years. But the Most High kept his promise. So he's saying there's a difference there. The the, the Mount Sinai covenant is referred to as the bondwoman or Hagar in Ishmael. The free woman is what? The one of the promise, which is Sarah and Isaac. Let's read 30 one more time, brother, please. Galatians 4 and 30. <clears throat> Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Cast out the old works of the law. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So if you're still a servant under, you know, the old law, you cannot be an heir. Verse 31. So then, brethren. We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. See, so Paul is telling you, he's like, so listen, we're not of the bondwoman. We're not under that law. Not saying we're not going to follow the law, but I can't use that to, you know, to justify myself as righteous. He's saying we're under the free woman. We're under Isaac. We're under the promise, which means we'll receive it because Christ died. That was a promise from Genesis that what? <laughs> that what? The seed of the woman would stomp on the serpent's head. So it was prophesied in Genesis. Now that should tell you something. That in Genesis, the in the first three chapters, the Most High had a plan already. So that means he, he was not, you know, <laughs> he was not taken by surprise. Because immediately, once he cursed, you know, Adam, Eve, and the serpent, he told the serpent that, listen... There shall be an enmity, or, you know, war between thy seed and the woman's seed. And the woman's seed shall crush your head. He had this plan in Genesis 3, brothers and sisters. So he was not taken by surprise. He already had a plan. He's never taken by surprise, brothers and sisters, with your issues or whatever. You know, when you do the wrong thing or, or, or whatever the case is, he's not surprised, brothers and sisters. Okay, he's the most high. But we're showing you that what? He's saying you can learn from Hagar, Ishmael, Sarah, and Isaac. That what? Ishmael and Hagar were the bondwoman. She worked for them. He said that covenant came from Mount Sinai. 
we know that what came from Mount Sinai was Moses receiving the law. He said, you cannot be an heir coming under that bond woman, under that bondage. Let's jump to Romans 9 and 7, brother. Follow us here. More Paul. Romans 9, verse 7. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Not all the children of Abraham were made the heirs of his blessings. Remember, Ishmael was of the seed of Abraham. <laughs> you see this, brothers and sisters? Let's read that one more time. Verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Paul's object is to show that natural descent from Abraham did not make a man one of his true seed. See? It's telling you that the most high sovereign in the distribution of his favor. Now, if you don't if you don't understand Galatians 4, you can't understand Romans 9. Because why? He's saying, let's read it one more time, brother. Verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Because why? Ishmael was seed of Abraham, but he wasn't considered an inheritor. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now he's saying you have to be under Isaac. What is he talking about? Remember the allegory in Galatians, the fourth chapter, where it talked about two, two, uh, two covenants. Where, remember, in Galatians 4 and 24, it said that, you know, there was two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, which gender of bondage, which was Hagar. And then what? One of Jerusalem, <laughs> which, is, which is Isaac and his mother. So he's telling you, you cannot come under this, this old doctrine. Because a lot of our people are saying, well, listen, I'm an Israelite and I follow the law. I'm getting in. And he's saying, listen, even though you may be physical seed, I don't care if you just got off the slave ship. I don't care if you, you live in Jerusalem right now. That does not guarantee you being an inheritor. How do we know? He's pointing to Ishmael, who did not inherit, even though he was physical seed. See, all of this we learn from the Old Testament. And see, that's why I ask Christians, how can you, how can you grow? And not read the Old Testament. Because if you don't read the Old Testament, you don't understand any of this. It's not possible to, to split the Bible in half and say, well, that's done away with. You can't understand any of this without, you know, prior knowledge of the Old Testament. Let's read 7 one more time, brother, please. Romans 9 and 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Now remember, in Galatians 4, it said the children of the flesh were under Ishmael, or the covenant of Mount Sinai. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. See? So as he rejected Ishmael, disregarding his natural descent from Abraham, he may also reject Israel. See, just because you're Israel doesn't mean you will inherit. And this is really what our people need to, to understand. 
just because we actually, you know, are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that does not mean that that's a golden ticket into the kingdom. It's, it's much more complex than that. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. It's not. Let's go to Jeremiah 31, brother, because it's talking about two covenants there. And we need to use Jeremiah to prove that he prophesied two covenants. Uh, Jeremiah 31 and 31 through 33. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. New covenant, right? A new agreement. Now, why is it saying house of Israel and house of Judah? The house of Israel were the northern tribes, the Hispanic and native tribes. The house of Judah were the darker tribes, the, you know, the Benjamites, the Levites in Judah, which would have been today the Haitians, the Jamaicans, the West Indian area, and the Negroes. So he's saying, I'm making a covenant with both of my, you know, both of my kingdoms, northern and southern. Verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God. And they shall be my people. See this, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? So he, this was prophetic that he would put the law in our inward parts, in our heart. Because why? Before we would just, you know, we were just following what was on tablet. But we all know that you cannot legislate morality. So we were doing it, but we hadn't changed. We were just doing it to say we did it. Now, this is key, though. Let's jump back up to 31. I want you to look at the first part of 31. Jeremiah 31 and 31. Behold, the days come, said the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It says the days are coming, right? So that means what Jeremiah prophesied as God's faithful messenger was not yet present in his day. There was no new covenant during that time. But now there is after Christ. There's a new covenant. So you can't get in through the old covenant. Remember, the old covenant was considered or, you know, compared to Hagar and Ishmael as what? Bondage, a gender of bondage. It puts you in bondage. Right? See, you're still under that slave mentality. He's saying, no, I, I want you to be a son. I want you to be a son. See, it's different when you're a servant. Because why? When you're a servant, you're looking to be rewarded. Right? When you're a son, you're just looking for the success. Right? When you're at your job and your job says, I need you to stay extra two hours. Right? You, you're expecting to be paid. When you're in business with your father and he says stay there two hours, you don't mind because it's for the success of the, you know, of the family. So there's a difference. It's a difference between doing something because you're trying to get paid and doing it, you know, just because it's the right thing. Because it's your father or your mother or, or whoever. 
So this, he's saying your mind has to change. Your mind has to change. Let us show you. Let's go to Hebrews 8 and 6, brother. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Of a what? Of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The old covenant was a legal covenant that brought man into a legal relationship with God. But he's telling you there's a new covenant. Guess what? The new covenant is a covenant of love. Bringing man into a loving relationship with the Most High God. So here it is. The author of Hebrews is saying there's a better covenant with better promises. Let's read that one more time, brother, please. Hebrews 8 and 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Jump to verse 13, please, brother. Verse 13, in that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made, he hath made the old, uh, the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? It says with the new covenant, what, brother? He hath made the first old. See that? So in the old covenant, the laws were written on tables of stone. In the new covenant, the law is written upon our hearts. In the Old Covenant, sins were covered by the sacrifice of animals. In the New Covenant, sins are put away by the sacrifice of Christ. So it's completely different now, brothers and sisters. you got to stop trying to come with that old game, okay? you got to get with the times. The times is the New Covenant. The New Covenant. We're trying to come like we came before Christ. And, and, and it's just it's not going to work. It's just simply not going to work, brothers and sisters. Let's go back to Galatians now, brother. Let's go back to Galatians, the third chapter, the 16th verse. Let's see what we find here. Galatians 3 and 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. You must be considered the child of Abraham to be a recipient of the inheritance. And it's key there because he said, can you read that one more time? Verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. So it's making it clear. Everybody who's a, you know, a physical descendant of Abraham will not be considered his children, right? He's saying there's a specific seed that I'm looking for, right? Verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of, that it should make the promise of none effect. Mm, 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 mm. Brothers and sisters, do you see what this is saying? Now, for those of us who actually, you know, study the Bible, um, for, you know, spend a lot of time in the Bible, you know that Abraham lived before Moses, right? So you know that that means Abraham received those promises before there was a law. 
Alright. <laughs> Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after. The law what, brother? Which was 430 years after. After the promises, right? Cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. See? So if the law came subsequent to the promise of an inheritance, then how could the inheritance be governed by the law? That's not possible. Because there was no law. When he made these promises to Abraham, Moses didn't... There was no Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments is in Exodus 20. Okay? You got to go all the way to Genesis the 20, you know, Genesis 20 to find Abraham and the promises. So how is that possible? Because why? Now Paul is presenting historical evidence that the promise existed before the law was disseminated. See, Paul was a... See, Paul was that brother. He was a deep brother. He was a Benjamite. He's from what you would call, you know, he would have been from the West Indies. Paul was a very, very intelligent, educated brother. And see, you, this is why the Most High used Paul, because Paul was a Pharisee, so he was a master of the law. No one could go against Paul. That's why he used Paul. And now what do people do? Now people use Paul to say, don't follow no laws. That's not what Paul was saying. But he was being clear. He said the motive behind why you're following the law matters. It matters. And he's telling you that, listen, the law came 430 years after the Most High made promises to Abraham. Let's read that one more time, brother, please. Galatians 3 and 17. And this I say. That the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Inheritance by law changes God's gift from a promise to a merit-based performance. You see, so that makes the most high a liar. Could you read that one more time? Verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now look at this, because now a person will say, well, then what's the purpose of following the law? What's the purpose of the law? If the inheritance is not, you know, tied to the law, then what purpose does it serve? Verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till, thy, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Do you see, brothers and sisters? The law was implemented to convince us of our need for salvation. He knew that we couldn't follow that whole law. He knew that. That was the whole point. <laughs> he wanted you to see that you can't follow the law so you can receive Christ. You see this, brothers and sisters, the Most High is very meticulous, very methodical. Those laws, there is no way that without the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is, there's no way that you could follow all those laws. Because remember, the law says if you break one, you break them all. That's what the Bible says. So you know that people would ask that and see Christians say this. Well, listen, hold on. If, I, if 
my my trip to heaven isn't is not tied to the law, then what is the purpose of following the law? <laughs> what purpose was there of the law? See, this is our people. If I'm not benefiting from it, why do it? This is our people. He said, no, I gave you the law to point out your sin. So then when I sent the sacrifice, you would understand your need. You would understand your need for Messiah. Now, let's go to Genesis 17, because we wanted to prove that what the author is telling you, that the law came before, excuse me, the, the promises came before. Let's prove that. Let's go back into history. To show you that Paul knows what he's talking about, okay? Let's go to Galatians 17 and 5, Brother Corey. Excuse me, Genesis 17 and 5. Genesis 17 and 5 through 11. Genesis 17, verse 5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will give, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant. For what, brother? For an everlasting covenant, to be to be a god unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man, every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? These are the scriptures that corroborate Paul's declaration regarding the chronology of the promise in the Mosaic law. This is Genesis 17. <laughs> okay. This is Genesis 17 telling us that, listen, I, you know, I'll be your God. There's a new covenant. Excuse me. There's a covenant that I'm going to have with you. I'm going to give your I'm going to give your seed a land. All that's here in Genesis 17. Moses is not living in Genesis 17. You see, brothers and sisters, so Paul is saying that you don't know history. If you think that the law is connected to the promises that he gave to Abraham, how is that possible when Abraham didn't know a law? Not the law of Moses, that is. See, so Israelites, I really hope, you know, I really hope you're examining this. I really hope you're looking closely at this. And I don't want anyone to get it misconstrued. We follow the law. Okay? We never say break the law. We follow the law ourselves. But we know there's a higher level. We know that the law doesn't make us righteous. We know that the law doesn't make us better than anyone else. There's something else. You have to actually humble yourself and come unto Christ. How do you do that? The same way he came. Water baptism. See, and that's really where our people don't want to go because it's it's humbling to show that, listen, I'm a sinner just like you. It's humbling. And our people are saying, well, listen, I don't need to be baptized. The only thing I need to do is follow the law. 
Well, listen, you, you, how do you receive his death? How do you receive his blood? You have to die like Christ died. You being fully submerged in water is a burial. It's a death and a burial. You coming out of that water is Christ's resurrection. So the only way you can partake of that or put that on, you know, put that robe on to be covered under that, you have to do what he did, which was be baptized. Christ was baptized. Go to Matthew. Go to Matthew and look at that, brothers and sisters. Matthew, the third chapter. He was baptized. And then he went into the wilderness to be tempted in the fourth chapter. So we're just showing you. I really hope Israelites, you know, who are, who are these law thumpers. I really hope we're examining this. Brothers and sisters, let's go from Genesis to Galatians. We're going to Galatians, the third chapter, the sixth and seventh verse. And then we're going to jump to the 10th through the 13th verse. Galatians 3 and 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Hold on. Hold up. Hold up, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing this? Paul places the emphasis upon the two words Abraham believed. You see that? Let's read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Mm. The children of Abraham are those who believe and are not those born of Abraham's natural descent. Do you see this? Declared as righteous is justification, as that's to be justified, brothers and sisters. It says that he believed and it was accounted for him righteousness. Not because he did something, because if you know Abraham, Abraham did, a, I mean, Abraham didn't always do everything right. He lied a few times. His wife was so fine that he felt that he needed to lie about it. Many times. And this was the father of faith here doing this. He lied many times because, yes, Israelite women, you know our sisters. You know, they was up there in age. And he, you know, he felt like he needed to lie and say it was his sister. That's how God made us. God made us very good looking people. But he didn't have to lie. Yet he did. The Most High still accounted it righteousness for him, even though he lied. Because why? It was accounted to him righteousness because it's faith. Let's read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. See? Let's jump to verse 10, brother, please. Galatians 3 and 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to mm. do them. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? I mean, Galatians, uh, Galatians is, this particular book is me. So I, I don't really, if you, you're still in the beginning, you're still trying to get the law down in different things. See, this lesson is not for somebody who just came into the truth six months ago. You need to just focus on following the law. This is for those who've been in this for a while. 
So they've been following the law. This because a person who who was a baby who's just coming into this just stopped eating pork two days ago. This lesson is not for you. You you're not there yet to be able to understand this because you don't you know you don't go from the first grade to 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 college courses. You don't. So you have to work your way up to that. Start with the milk, which we have plenty of milk on our broadcast. We have plenty of milk, right? This is for, you know, the heavy hitters. These are for those who can chew steak right now. Because if you're just following the law, you really don't even understand the law. Let's read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Cursed. Is everyone that continueth not in all things. So there's some things in there that say, listen, don't mix fabrics. That's in the Bible. Right? You can't have cotton and polyester. That's in the Bible. You see, brothers and sisters? So there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that it's not even possible to follow. Because why? We're serving another nation. When we deal with the Passover, how do you know your lamb is unblemished? Did you go find, uh, you know, did you do this on your own? So it's not even possible to follow the full law, but we're going to try to follow every part that we can. But you're not going to be able to. The Most High knew that. So he's saying, don't try to come that way. Because if you come under that law and you break any part of it, you're condemned. Because you rejected Christ's blood to try to come under Moses. Let's read that one more time, please, brother. Galatians 3 and 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. Can you read that again, brother? But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. Do not misinterpret civil righteousness. For spiritual righteousness, brothers and sisters, okay? Verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. The law is not of faith. Brothers and sisters, what type of faith does it take to see a law that says don't eat pork and not eat it? That's easy, okay? What? How hard is it when the Bible says don't put up a Christmas tree? There is no faith involved in that. You're reading it black and white. He's saying there's no faith involved in the law. And see, that's why our people hide under that. Because they don't have to have any faith. See? Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So, brothers and sisters, all that seek salvation by the performance of the law are under the curse of the law. Do you see, brothers and sisters? So you have to know what you, you know, you have to know what you're getting yourself into because this isn't a game, especially for the children of Israel. This is not a game. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Romans, the fourth chapter the second through the fourth verse. Romans 4 verse 2. 
For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Brothers and sisters, Paul uses Abraham as an example proving that justification with the Most High comes through faith. Let's read that one more time, brother. Please, verse 2. Verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. See, Abraham's righteousness was not the result of performance, but faith in the Most High. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Boom. That's it right there. <laughs> See? See, brothers and sisters, it was righteousness obtained through faith. It's telling you. Read 4 one more time, please, brother. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if you're saying by works, you're justified, then inheritance is not by grace. It's by debt, which means God owe it to you because of your works. So now you're saying God owe you something. You see, you see the, <laughs> you see the mindset of that. You see the arrogance of that. That now you're a God who, who woke you up. You're now saying God owe you this because you don't eat pork. You're saying nah, nah, nah. I'm a king. I could kill you off right now. I'm just going to have grace on you. I'm going to have mercy on you. But I don't owe you jack. I owe you death, really. See, now to him that... Brother Corey, read that, please. Verse 4. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. See? And that's the key part right there. If it's by works you're justified in receiving inheritance, then you're saying God owe it to you. God's in debt to you. you go re-examine your doctrine again. Because a lot of us don't even know, you know, that doing certain things and saying certain things have implications. They have implications that you're, you're not even aware of. And I hope Christians are listening too, because you're not going to, they have a hard time understanding this. They think because it's not by works, that means don't follow the law at all. <laughs> it's like there's you have Israelites on the extreme all the way to the left. And then you have Christians on the extreme all the way to the right. So Christians will say, well, see, it's not by the law, not works of the law. So that means don't follow any of the laws. And then you have Israelites who are saying, well, listen, I don't need to have faith in Christ. Only thing I have to do is follow the law. You have to find a medium. You have to find that balance right in the middle. We plan on doing that today. Let's go to Titus, brother. A lot of New Testament. A lot of New Testament today. Why? Because you're dealing with the New Covenant. Titus, the third chapter, the seventh and the eighth verse. Titus 3 and 7. That being justified by his grace. By what? By his grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, designation of 
and inheritor only comes as a justification by faith. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 7. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will, I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Brothers and sisters, please examine the chronology the author uses in the 8th verse. The performance came subsequent to the faith. Let's read it one more time, please, brother. Verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Read that part one more time, please, brother. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. See, the motive is the emphasis of the text. He said, these people believe God, and since they do believe God, that's why they, they maintain good works. You see that? So the motive is what matters here. Yes, I believe the Most High saved me. I believe Christ, you know, blood saved, you know, saved me, washed away my sins. I believe that the Most High is merciful. And since I believe he's merciful, I want to repay that by doing the right thing. See, <laughs> that's how it works, Christians. Yes, I believe in the Most High, but belief alone is not enough. Why? Because Satan believes in God. See, so there's a healthy balance there. He's saying, yes, I'm covered in his blood. And because I'm covered in his blood, I'm going to live like Christ. Why? Because he lived like me. I'm not going to, you know, not sin because the Bible says I'll, I'll be a good person. There's no good people. Christ said this. So we have to be clear on, you know, what motive is. We're not saying don't follow the law. We're saying your motive for following it. See, Christians have just said, well, nah, since, you know, works are dead and we're not getting into heaven on them, don't follow none of them. How can you prove that you believe in God? First comes the belief. Faith. I trust you. I trust that what you're telling me is right. Therefore, I'll do what you say. So the text is clear. We are not sons because we serve. We serve because we're sons. There's a difference. There's a difference. We are not sons because we serve. We serve because we are sons. I need you to internalize that principle, brothers and sisters. Okay? You didn't become a son. You're not recognized as a son because you serve him. We're serving him because I am his son. When your daddy say do this, <laughs> you do it, right? Not that because I did what you said now, now I'm your son. Nah. Completely backwards. Let's go to Ezekiel, brother Corey. Ezekiel 46. Follow us to the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, please. Ezekiel 46, 16 and 17. Ezekiel 46 and 16. Thus said the Lord God, If the prince give a gift unto any of his sons, the inheritance thereof shall be his sons. It shall be their possession by inheritance. 
But if he give a gift of his inheritance to one of his servants, then it shall be his to the year of his liberty or to the year of liberty after it shall return to the prince. But his inheritance shall be his sons for them. Brothers and sisters, please examine the difference in inheritance between a son and a servant. According to the text, we'll, we'll, let, the, we'll let the Bible interpret itself. Can you read 16 one more time, brother? Verse 16. Thus said the Lord God, If the prince give a gift unto any of his sons, the inheritance thereof shall be his sons. It shall be their possession by inheritance. But if he give a gift of his inheritance to one of his servants, then it shall be his to the year of liberty. His year of liberty, that means what? Every seven years you have to forgive debt. And even when it comes to land, brothers and sisters, after a certain amount of time, you had to return the land. See, it was never yours permanently. Go read the law. The law tell you this. After a certain amount of time, you had a jubilee which was seven years and then 49 brothers and sisters. So every seven year and every 49th year, right? So you had to return. If somebody owed you something, you had to forgive that debt. If there was some land given to you, you had to return that land. It's called the law of Jubilee. Verse 17. <clears throat> but he, if he give a gift of his inheritance to one of his servants... Then it shall be his to the year of it, of liberty. Until when? Till the year of liberty. After it shall return to the prince. After what? After it shall return to the prince. But his inheritance shall be his sons for them. See, so the inheritance received by a son is permanent. Any inheritance bestowed upon a servant is temporal. See? So under the law, excuse me, under the Mosaic law, transfer of lands can only be granted to the year of Jubilee, except to a person's own heir. That's the only time. So under the Mosaic covenant, if you are not considered a son, you cannot be a permanent inheritor of land. The property could only be transferred to a son in perpetuity. That's the only person. That's the only way. Go read the law again. It can only be transferred to a son in perpetuity, which means forever, permanently. See, those. so there's certain status that you get from being considered a son. And what's the title of today's lesson? Children of the Promise. Children of the Promise. Let's go to John, Brother Corey. Let's go to John, the 8th chapter, the 35th verse. John 8 and 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. Brothers and sisters, examine the distinction between a household servant and an actual son of the house. Do you see this? Verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. Now, why is it saying that a servant abideth not in the house forever? Remember, a servant had to be released from the custody of the household every seventh year. It's called the year release or jubilee, brothers and sisters. See, that was the law. That's why it says 
The servant doesn't abide in the house forever. Only the actual children of the master had a permanent right to live in that home. You see this, brothers and sisters? Because the, the, the narrative of the Bible, it's monolithic. It doesn't change, brothers and sisters. And this is how we know this book was inspired by God. Because you can have authors in the Old Testament and authors in the New Testament, authors in the Apocrypha, and the narrative never changes. The narrative is always consistent. How can you have all these different authors with a consistent narrative? How is that possible? You know how it's possible. Because it was divine. It was coming directly from the mouth of God to the ears of man. No other record. No other book. That's why it says don't make this. With un you can't make the Bible with any other book. Cannot do. You shame that other book. We just wanted to show you that any inheritance for a servant is temporary and not in perpetuity. John 8 and 35 says, if you're a servant, you won't, you won't, you won't be here forever. <laughs> the son, he had the right to stay in that mansion as long as he wants. You, you gonna get up out of here. Let's go to Proverbs 19 and 10, brother, please. Proverbs 19, verse 10. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. What did that say, brother? Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Mm. The author teaches us that it's unseemly for servants to ever possess authority over sons. You see this, brothers and sisters? A servant is... Nothing more than an employee. A son is a partner. This is what the author's breaking down. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 10. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Mm, 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 mm. Brothers and sisters, a servant works for a reward, making him a hireling. You see the difference? You're doing the right thing because you believe it's going to make you righteous and you'll get an inheritance. We do the right thing because we love the most high. You see the difference in that? We're not doing it for a reward. <laughs> There's a difference. Servants work for reward, making them a hireling. Which means I'm only doing the right thing because I believe it's my righteousness and I'll get into heaven. See, that's why Christians don't do it. That's why they don't follow the law. Because the motive was unclean. They believed that at some point, you know, if, if my righteousness, me doing the right thing, will get me into heaven. Well, if it doesn't get me into heaven, why am I doing it? See? If it doesn't help me get into heaven, why am I doing it? See, that's the motive. When you flip it on its head, that Christians are coming from. Listen, this stuff don't help me get into heaven. I'm not doing this garbage. Got time for that. Don't help me. See, so you're really not doing it out of the goodness of your heart. That's why he said I would, he would write the law in our hearts. See, I wouldn't need to be told to do it. I love the most high. So when you love the most high or love someone, you just do things without even having to be told. <laughs> you just doing it because I love you. That's why he said 
View me as father, not master. Let's go to John 15, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John 15 and 15. John 15 and 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Brothers and sisters, there's something key there in verse 15. Can you read that one more time? Verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. For the servant what, brother? Knoweth not what his Lord doeth. A servant is not someone who's privy to the purposes of the master, okay? That's what he's saying. A servant can be a useful tool, but can never be thought of as a partner. You don't tell the servant, <laughs> you know, what's on your mind and, and, you know, what the plan is. You tell the servant what to do. That's it. See? But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Brothers and sisters, the text tells us that as long as you remain as a servant, you are not close enough to be considered a friend. See? So we have to get out of that. We have to move from underneath of that bondage that is the old covenant, as Galatians 4 told us. The covenant of Mount Sinai, which was compared with Hagar, works of the flesh. Many of our people are going to be they're going to be not only disappointed, but they're going to be shocked. They're going to be flabbergasted when that day comes. And the Most High say, depart from me. And these are people who thought that, you know, not eating pork and all this stuff was going to get them in. Let the see, this is why you have to be baptized. This is why you need the Holy Spirit, because some of these things, even though you, you know, we're breaking down these scriptures, there will be people that hear this broadcast devoid of the Holy Spirit and will not even be able to ascertain this. You need the Holy Spirit. There's some things and you don't even know. It's impossible to even know how much. You need the Holy Spirit until after you already have her. <laughs> it's hard. It's really, it's complex, brothers and sisters. It's only once you receive the Holy Spirit, you know how important it is. Because it can't be explained otherwise. Certain things, you know, certain spiritual things you will not be able to comprehend. Unless you have the Spirit of the Most High, which is the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Romans, brother, uh, 8. Romans 8, we'll have Brother Corey read 14 through 17. Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, closely examine the transition here from servants to sons. 
the text is teaching us that the text is teaching us that we can only be considered sons if we if we if we believe we're unable to to earn salvation. As long as you believe you can earn salvation, you're not a son. <laughs> you're not. Can you read that from the top, brother? Romans eight and fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, this implies that in our former state under the law, we were in a state of servitude. Remember Galatians 4, Galatians 3, right? <laughs> as long as he's a child, he deal he did. He differs nothing from a slave. And, and as long as he's there, as long as he's as a child, which is talking about maturity, that you're under tutors and governors. Remember, Galatians 4 said what? The old covenant was bondage under Hagar, works of the flesh. Can you read 15 one more time, brother? Because if you believe salvation can be earned, you're considered a slave and therefore will not receive an inheritance. Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children... Then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. It don't get any clearer than that, brothers and sisters. The meaning here is that if we sustain the relation of sons to God, that we will be treated as such. See, only legitimate children can inherit the estate. He's telling you this. Could you read 17 one more time, brother? Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Actually, let's start at 16, brother. Excuse me. Verse 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. See, he's saying if you're children, then you're heirs. See? Your joint heirs with the Messiah. Today's lesson, children of the promise. How do we make that transition from servant to son? From servant to son. How do we make that transition? The Bible's teaching us that today, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 27, brother, and 46. Something key here that I think brothers and sisters should, should ponder. Matthew, the 27th chapter, we'll have Brother Corey read the 46th verse. Matthew 27 and 46. And about the ninth hour, Christ, called, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now this is key, brothers and sisters. This is key. I really need you all to pull this actual scripture up in your in your Bibles, whether it's on your iPhones or, or however you're utilizing the Bible. Because there's some there's some words there that are not English, brothers and sisters. And once I discovered that, 
excuse me, once I discovered that it is the separation from the most high that has us view him as master rather than father, I set out to find the original source of the separation. Because this, brothers and sisters, this was the very, this was the only time in the Bible that the most high, excuse me, that Christ referred to him as God. This is the only time in the Bible where he didn't refer to him as father. So once I discovered that, brothers and sisters, I'm like, okay, well, hold on here. Why isn't he referring to him as father? Why is he referring to him as God? What was going on here? Can you read that one more time, brother? You could skip the, the Hebrew, the Greek Hebrew part there. Verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look at this, brothers and sisters. See, I was trying to find out where did the separation come from? Where did, when did it go from, you know, my God or my master to my father? When, there was a change there, brothers and sisters. There was a change there. Because it was when he was forsaken. Once he was separate from the Most High, he called him my God, my God. He, never, he no longer called him father. See, so once there's a separation, you view him as God rather than Father, Heavenly Father. Christ's entire ministry, that three years that is recorded, he was trying to teach us about God the Father. To view him as a father, to be his children. That's why in the beginning, the verse scriptures we went to, he said, unless you become, if unless you convert and become like one of these little children, you will not inherit. Because why? You're looking at him as God and I'm looking at him as Father. It's a complete reversal, brothers and sisters. Let's go, let's find out, brothers and sisters, when this change happened. Where it changed from Father to viewing him as Master. Let's go to Genesis 2 and 17, brother. Because what I discovered is you had to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 2 and 17. But of the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt what? Surely die. Brothers and sisters, death means separation. Okay? A physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. A spiritual death, which is of greater significance, is what? Is the separation of the soul from God. So this was clear here, brothers and sisters. Can, can we read that one more time, brother? Genesis 2 and 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That die there is be separate, brothers and sisters. So now we know that did Adam die on the same day? Yes, he did. Not physically, but spiritually, which is more significant in my eyes and God's eyes, the Most High's eyes. Okay. So either the Most High was lying right here when he said in that in that day that you eat it, you'll die, or there's another death. So which one is more likely, the Most High lying 
or there being a, another death. Let's go to Genesis, the third chapter, the sixth through the ninth verse. Genesis three, verse six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Brothers and sisters, according to the text, people can be alive physically yet dead spiritually. Because the text in Genesis, the second chapter said that same day that you eat this fruit, you shall surely die. But here it is. He's talking to Adam <laughs> and Eve on this same day. Afterwards, subsequent to it. So Adam died spiritually in the garden, but remained alive physically when he disobeyed. See? If Adam lived 930 years after he picked up the fruit, physical death is not the real death. Let's go back up. Let's read it from the top again. Let's, uh, let's read verse 6, brother. Genesis 3 and 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Look at this, brothers and sisters. This matter of being spiritually separated from the Most High and the immediate consequences of the fall are important. Because why? He's, he, he, what was the question he asked, brother? Where art thou? Now look at that. Because he wasn't speaking of location. He was speaking of, he was speaking of disposition, brothers and sisters. Meaning that Adam was out of position with heaven. He was out of position spiritually. He, that means he was separate. For the Most High to ask him, where are you? It was obvious that he was separate. He was severed. See, this was the death here, brothers and sisters. Not the physical death. That came too later. But Adam lived 900 some odd years, brothers and sisters. So either the Most High is lying, or there is another death that the Most High is speaking of. It's that separation. This is when they were separate. They hid themselves from the presence of the Most High. That's proven that there's separation there, brothers and sisters. Proven that the Most High had another type of death in mind. Spiritual death. Let's go to Isaiah 59 and 2, brother, because we were looking for when this separation happened. When did we start viewing the Most High as master rather than father? And what did we do? We went and found Christ. We found in the Bible, there's only one place in the Bible 
with the with Christ, the Messiah refers to the Most High as God. Only one place in the entire manuscript. And what was going on there? He was saying that the Most High forsook him or separated from him. Isaiah 59 verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. See, so spiritual death is best understood as what? As alienation or separation of our souls from the Most High. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. See, so sin is always coupled with separation, also known as death, brothers and sisters, right? And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. See, so sin, unless taken away, will always act as an impediment to our unity with the Most High God. Isaiah, the prophet, is, is breaking that down here. He said it was your iniquity, it was your sins that actually separated you. And we know separation from the source is actually death, brothers and sisters. See, so it was that separation that changed it from father to, to master or God. Remember, in the beginning we said the, the words that you use, they're very important, especially in the Hebrew. So, when when the Bible refers to him as father, it's pointing to certain characteristics that's you know, certain characteristics at that time. When it refers to him as God or, or Lord or or Savior, that means that word fits properly with the context. Okay, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew twenty seven, brother, please. Matthew, the 27th chapter, we're going to have Brother Corey read verse 46 through 51. Matthew 27 and 46. And about the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, that said, This man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And Christ, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Brothers and sisters, I really, this right here is very, very important, okay? It's very, very important because there was a veil that was, that was ripped, brothers and sisters. The veil that separated the, you know, the, the holy of holies and the most holy. So there was a veil that everyone couldn't go behind, brothers and sisters. And it's key here because after this, he's saying... He, he refers to the Most High as God and then says he's forsaken him. But look at the 51st verse closely. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That right there, from the top to the bottom. Why was it ripped from the top to the bottom? Or why does it even, why is it even, 
making, you know, why is it even specifying that it was from top to bottom? Because if it was from the bottom, then someone, you know, from some regular person could have ripped it. But you're talking about something, you know, over 30 feet high. <laughs> you're talking about something over 30, 40 feet high. A veil, which is like a curtain, a, a thick embroidered curtain, right? It was ripped from the top to the bottom once Christ yielded up the ghost. Now, what was this veil? Let us show you. Let's go to Leviticus 16 and 1. What was this veil that was ripped in the temple? Leviticus 16 verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. Within the what? Within the veil before the mercy seat. There goes that veil. Which is upon the ark, that he die not. That what? He die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come in the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So the only person who could enter the holy of holies and remain alive was who? The high priest. With what? With the blood of the substitute sacrifice. He said, tell Aaron, don't, you know, don't run up in here. <laughs> don't, don't run up on me now. If you come behind this curtain, Without blood. On the day that I say. You're going to die. You see that brothers and sisters. The purpose of the veil. Was to keep people out of the holy of holies. You see brothers and sisters. He said tell Aaron don't come back here. I'll let Aaron know when to come. He'll come one time. <laughs> David told me. He won't just come back here anytime he wants to. And guess what. When he does come back here. Read verse 3 brother please. Verse 3. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. See, so you had to bring blood. So that veil, according to the text, was there to separate, to, to keep people away from the Most High's glory. It tells you that the Ark of the Covenant was there. So guess what? Only the high priest could come in. So if someone unclean came in there, they would die on the spot. Why? Because the Most High's righteousness demands justice. It demands it. So you had to make sure you was, <laughs> you was right before you went up in there. Because <laughs> you may not come out. You may not come out of there. We just went there to show you what the veil was for. The veil had a purpose, right? Let's go to Hebrews 9 and 3, brothers and sisters. We're going to read verse 3 through 7. Hebrews 9 and 3. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. It's telling you what's in the temple, what was in the tabernacle, brothers and sisters. Verse 5. And over it the cherubims of the glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak particularly. Now look at this. The cherubims are angels, right? Over the mercy seat. Verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, 
the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Accomplishing what, brother? The service of God. Okay. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. Not without what? Without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Now, it's, it's clear here, brothers and sisters, there's separations in this tabernacle. There's a certain space where all the priests could go. And then there's a space where only one priest goes, the high priest. And it tells you that, read verse 7 one more time, brother, please, because... There's something key there about the Most High's presence and approaching it. Verse 7. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. Not without what? Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The most important part is not without blood. So there's only one way into God's holy presence. It is the blood of sacrifice. See, the author of Hebrews teaches us, you never come before the Most High God without blood. Never. See? So you're trying to get in this presence by, by following laws. <laughs> that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. You better put some blood on it. You better cover yourself in some blood. Let's go to Psalms 24, brother. We're almost done, brothers and sisters. We just have to make sure we get all, we we have to make sure we get it all out for our brothers and sisters, because this is a monumental. This is this is some information here that could could determine the difference in where you end up, brothers and sisters. Psalms twenty four and three. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Read that part one more time, brother. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? God's hill is, in reality, the highest heaven, brothers and sisters, wherein he, wherein his, is his dwelling place. Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Brothers and sisters, examine the two contrasting elements required to stand before the Most High God. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Brothers and sisters, the fourth verse does what? It magnifies why the Mosaic covenant alone was insufficient. Could you read that one more time? Verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. See, that's the key. According to the psalmist, salvation cannot be bestowed upon he whom had clean hands only. See, you actually have to have a pure heart. Moses' law doesn't give a pure heart. Give you clean hands. He's saying, well, nah. <laughs> You're going to need both. See, the Most High set it up where only the pure, only the pure will see him. See, he must have clean hands and a pure heart. Why did he add that pure heart part? Because technically, by the letter of the law, you can have clean hands without a pure heart. 
trying to get over. Just pointing to God. I did all these 600 laws. See, so the psalmist was breaking it down here. Let's go to James 4, brother. 4 and 8. Children of the promise. Children of the promise. James 4 and 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Examine the requirements chronicled in the text in order to draw nigh, brothers and sisters. What did that say, brother? Verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Here we're reading the... The insufficiency of the Mosaic Covenant, brothers and sisters. According to the text, purification of the heart starts with the mind, which Moses' law has no effect of. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See? So you cannot legislate morality. Moses' law was incomplete because it wasn't meant for that. It wasn't meant to cleanse your heart. You need Christ for that. See, that's why Christ came and magnifies the law. Go look at Matthew, the fifth chapter. Right? Christ, he expanded upon the law, brothers and sisters. Everything he did was about the heart. See, Moses was just about ritualistic cleansing. And the Pharisees knew that. That's why Christ said, you cleanse the outside of the cup. And then he told our people, he told the disciples, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Well, hold on. If the Pharisees are following every law in the book, essentially, that can be seen, how can our righteousness exceed theirs? He's saying the heart. The heart. The thing that can't be seen. That's why he said purify your hearts. Because why? A lot of us are dealing with iniquity. Iniquity is what? Invisible sin. It's the sin you can't see. God sees it, brothers and sisters. Let's go to let's go to Romans 2 and 28, brother. I hope Israelites are listening to this. They really do. Romans, the second chapter, the 28. 8th and 29th verse. Romans 2 and 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. Brothers and sisters, our righteousness has to exceed the letter of the law. Following the letter of the law is legalism, which produces death. Following the spirit or the purpose of the law gives life. Now, I got to correct something because I, one time I was, broke out into a brother started trying to debate me, <laughs> a Christian. I, you know, I don't know why, um, as I was telling him, you know, we're the Israelites. And he said, well, no, nah, uh, we're all the Israelites. We're the spiritual Israelites. And then he took me here. He took the, me here to see, to show you that, listen, you know, 
<laughs> you can be a spiritual Israelite. And, and that's not what this is saying, brothers and sisters. What this is saying is you can be a Jew physically, but not considered a Jew of the promise. If what? If your circumcision is only that of the flesh. So if your heart isn't right, you can be technically a Jew. You can be technically Ishmael, but you're not considered the seed. So nowhere in this scripture does it say someone can become a spiritual Jew. It, that's not in here. But Christians will deal with this. Can you, can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So what this is saying is you can be a bloodline Jew and not consider the Jew to God. It's not saying that you can be a bloodline Gentile and be considered a Jew. That's not what this is saying. It's saying if you think because you're black and went on slave ships that that's enough and you're better than people, you got another thing coming. You got another thing coming if you think you're better than someone or you deserve an inheritance for simply being black. See, this is what he's saying, brothers and sisters. See? It's not just being a physical Jew on the outward, but a real Jew is in the heart. That's what he's saying. See? Because why? A lot of our people, they just they just like the name Israel. They don't really want to be Israel. All the work that it takes, the forgiveness that it takes, the love, the study that it takes. Our people don't want all that. They're like, listen, I'm an Israelite. I just want the name, the title only. He's saying, well, you're not going to, you're not getting in. Being a title only Jew or Israelite, you're not getting in. So what do we see, brothers and sisters? We need to be sure we are fulfilling the purpose for which the law was given. When one obeys the spirit of the law, one is doing what the author of the law intended. And not only adhering to the literal wording. This is what people were doing. Read 29 one more time, please, brother. Verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter. In the spirit and not in the letter. So there's a difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. See, when you when you start raising teenagers <laughs> or, or, you know, preteens, they start trying to get into the letter, which is when you tell your child something specific. Uh, for example, um, don't accept candy from strangers. And then they come in the house with, with a hot dog and a soda from a stranger. And they say, well, no, nah, you said don't take candy from strangers. You didn't say I couldn't get a hot dog. You see that, brothers and sisters? That's the letter of the law. The letter of the law was, I, you know, technically I said don't get candy. But you knew what I meant. You knew I meant don't take anything from a stranger. See, that's the difference between the letter and the spirit. The letter is what's written down. The spirit was what is the intention behind the command. You see, brothers and sisters, our carnal mind viewed the law as just a list of stipulations. And the Bible is telling you, you cannot change from the outside in. Okay? Only from the inside out. Romans is telling us this. Paul is telling us this. We are really what we are inwardly, brothers and sisters. 
Outward motives may keep the outside clean while the inside is filthy. So today's lesson, we were learning how to be children of the promise, how to have that transition from servitude or being a servant unto being a son. And when we say a son, we're talking about men and women. Men and women. Let's go to our final scripture, brother. Hebrews 3 and 5. We're going to read 5 and 6. Then we're going to close. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 3 verse 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Brothers and sisters, according to the author, Moses was faithful in God's house as a what? Can you read that again, brother? Verse 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. As a what? As a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house. As a what? As a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. See, so Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. But Christ was faithful in his house as a son. See, sons build the house. Servants simply serve in the house. <laughs> There's a difference. So I need you to closely examine the authoritative differences. Let's read those two scriptures one more time, brother. Hebrews 3 and 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for his testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. Moses taught us how to be a servant. Verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house. Christ teaches us how to become sons. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. See that? Moses taught us how to become servants of the Most High, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to become a son, okay? You have to move from servitude to sonhood. And that doesn't mean you don't serve. As we said, brothers and sisters, you don't serve. <laughs> you got to get the motive right, brothers and sisters. We serve. Because we're sons. We're not sons because we serve. Never get that misconstrued. We serve because we are sons. We're not sons because we serve. The, the text is clear. Brothers and sisters. Today's lesson was children of the promise. We went into a myriad of scriptures today. Brothers and sisters. A lot of them... You know, hard to be understood. Uh, a lot of them by Paul. You know, we 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 pray that you know the Holy Spirit fall upon you to help you ascertain uh, what the Most High have shown us. Um, and and it's time for growth, brothers and sisters. I know how easy it can be to fall back in because we believe. Okay, the law is easy. I, I mean, it's easy to to. 
not spend money on the Sabbath. It's easy to not eat pork. And then we just believe, okay, well now I just sit back and wait on Christ. That's not the case, brothers and sisters. That is not the case. Where once you have down the law or, or what you think is the law, everything's good to go. You're perfect. You, you have no chance of falling back. That's disingenuous, brothers and sisters. And you have to deal with that before judgment day. You have to deal with that before the judge comes. And he deals with it. So here it was, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson, it was me. It was heavy. But if you're being guided by the Holy Spirit, you had the time and you've been studying. This is not a lesson that you pick up your first six months in the, in the truth. Okay? This is something for after a few years. Okay? Today's lesson, brothers and sisters, children of the promise. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.